September 3rd is coming fast. We are a month or a little less than a month away from Georgia and Oregon teeing off there in Mercedes-Benz, a stadium that has had some promising games for Georgia, but has for the most part been a house of nightmares for the dogs. But come September 3rd, Dan Lanning and the boys from Oregon coming down to take on the defending national champion Bulldogs. So a first full Saturday of college football right in the middle of the day. You get that top 10 matchup between the dogs and the ducks and to break it all down with us as Georgia has finally put on the pads. We have some hitting going on. We have faded up Stetson Bennett with some just the pipe benders out there. All kinds of news coming out of Athens from dogs daily on SI.com to break it down with us. Our good friend Brooks Austin Brooks. There's so many different storylines, but I feel like you got to start because you're an expert yourself with Stetson Bennett's fade and just the dude, he's got he's got vantage on the arms going on. Looks like he's been doing nothing but curls all, all off season. Like how many weeks do we get into the season before Stetson's pop for PEDs? First of all, I don't know if you hear that. Round of applause for Christian Gokel for identifying that that is indeed a fade and not what people are calling a buzz cut. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, a buzz cut is something people get in the military. Okay, a fade is what people who got swag and dripped out get prior to a fall camp. So kudos to you, Christian Gokel. Thank you for identifying an, a, a true fade and not a buzz cut. Thank you, sir. Yeah, man, I mean, I don't get a haircut very often, but I know what it looks like. But, no, I mean, uh, what, what, what was the ultimate question? I was just giving you kudos. Yeah, I mean, how many weeks do we get into the season before Stetson's pop for PEDs? Because I saw his arms at the end of last year, and I'm, I saw the pictures coming out. I mean, listen, everybody looks good in the fall camp photos because it's hot outside, you're, you're sweaty, the the people who the interns with the school are making you look as good as possible before they put anything out, unlike the Miami Dolphins uh, social media team. So I understand that's part of it, but Stetson's arms are gigantic. I mean, so, yeah. something happened in the offseason. So here's my theory. Look, I, I, I walk around this earth in my natural body weight about 265. The good Lord put some extra weight on me. You know what I mean? I, I got some natural insulation. But these, these little folks, these, these 185-pounders, these 190-pounders, man, they spend three weeks just training arms, and they come back looking like SpongeBob with the blow-up arm muscles. You know what I mean? Like, I think it could be, hey, maybe Stet spent the summer just training arms. And, and, and look, if it's buys and tries day three days a week, I'm not mad at you. I mean, if you want to come out looking vascular and yoked up week one of, of fall camp, more power to you. But all jokes aside, I, I do think he put some weight on because all the intel coming out of camp is that there is a little bit of extra juice. The ball's jumping just a little bit different. And I'll be honest with you, Stetson Bennett is not one of these people that you walk up next to him and Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff throwing and you think, oh, man, 13 is really spinning it today. No. In fact, Beck probably looks like the one in Vandergriff when it comes to RPMs and the ball jumping. Those are the ones that will take your breath away. But from everything I'm hearing from fall camp, there's been some guys leaving practice going, daggum, the ball, the ball was jumping out of 13's hand today. And, and that, that's something different, man, to be 100% honest. Yeah, you can't really think of too many examples last year where Stetson just threw like a frozen rope that you're like, wow. I mean, there was so the, many. The best ball he ever thrown was against Auburn. He gets yeah. at Bryant to his left, spins out, rolls to his left, hits Karis Jackson on a backside dig. That was an NFL Sunday throw, and he makes a couple of them every now and then, but from the intel, it sounds like it's just he's got a little bit extra. And even if 5% in, like increase uh, on downfield accuracy or, or just the, 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 the jump in the ball in that 25 to end 
intermediate range, you'll notice those things from a guy that you've seen for six years. Yeah, I do want to preface this conversation because I want to dive into Stetson uh, and then into a lot of the more, uh, as Brooks said, the intel or the nugs, uh, as he calls it, coming out of camp. But I do want to preface this by saying if you are a Georgia fan, I highly encourage you uh, to follow Brooks and to subscribe to his Patreon account because it is nothing but daily information coming out about Georgia, and it's about as good as it gets uh, from anywhere on the Internet. So highly encourage you to go and do that. But sticking with Stetson here, Brooks, I, for whatever reason, went back and watched the Clemson-Georgia game uh, from the beginning of last season just because I'm like, man, it, it's you want to kind of refresher as you head into this season of what the storyline was last season. And going back and watching that game, defense – you didn't know what it was going to be. You knew it was going to be good. But seeing that game, you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The defensive line is dominating. N'Kobe Dean is a freak. Uh, and the secondary is kind of starting to come together a little bit, right? Offensively, it was you, – you can't even explain how different the offense was at the beginning of the year versus the end of the year. And I think it's overly simplistic to say, oh, it's just Stetson Bennett versus JT Daniels. It's not the case. It was a completely different offense that we saw, I'd say, post, what, Florida – to what you had at the beginning of the season with JT Daniels. So I guess my question to you is this, how much different of an offense do we see post national championship full off season with Stetson as the one going into this year? You know, just as you walk through that timeline, I can't help, but I, if, if I could put Kirby smart on a lie detector test, I would want to know just truly how hurt JT Daniels was like going into that Clemson game. I mean, if you think of a quarterback's got a lat injury, they didn't throw the ball down the field at all in that football game. So as far as like how much the game plan changed and how much the offense changed throughout the season, once they kind of, you know, about week four decided that, hey, we're rolling with 13, whatever it takes us, however it takes us all the way through unless something changes, they started changing the offense because he can do a lot more different things, right? He can do a lot of things with his legs. He can actually hold backside defensive ends accountable for himself in the run game, things like that. So, you started seeing the offense kind of morph and change, and that's something that Munkin's kind of adapted to throughout his career. I've always called him a, a chameleon coordinator or a chameleon coordinator. A guy that blends in and, and kind of matches whatever his skill set is as an offense. As far as the progression goes, I don't know if you see them ask him or tell him that he needs to do more. I think they might take more shots or might throw it just a little bit more um, because the offensive line, maybe the running game is not as great this year. But most importantly, I think you see much more of a development in how they use guys like Bowers and all their different weapons. And Avery Gilbert, which is a new weapon that they have this year um, that they didn't have last year, who is, I mean, Brock Bowers 2.0. I think they'll use him in a very much uh, similar mismatch skill set as they did Bowers all year last year. So let's stay on the offensive side of the ball and just kind of get where we're at uh, with the depth chart right now. I want to start on the offensive line because I feel like that – uh, if you want to point at one position group that's really changed since Kirby Smart took over the head coach, a lot of that had to do with Sam Pittman is five years ago, offensive line, not a strength of the University of Georgia. Now it's just producing NFL talent after NFL talent uh, and more of that on the offensive line this year. You do have to replace a couple of guys, uh, but it seems like Broderick Jones ready to step in at left tackle. But my question to you is, is Warren McClendon holding down that right tackle position or should he be worried about being supplanted? No, I, I think Warren McClendon's got that right tackle position until he goes and takes a right tackle position on Sundays. I, I think they have answers at both tackle spots. I think NFL scouts are starting to come through and starting to realize what type of athletic specimen that Broderick Jones is. 
I, I can't express how fluidly that human moves for six foot four, three hundred and ten pounds, um, and how long he is, and just how massive and fluid of a of a human he is. He's incredible to watch, and NFL scouts are starting to pick up on that. McClendon, on the other end, is just so clean, so clean, and so technically sound. I think you and I talked about it back during the springtime. I I think he's all SEC caliber tackle this year, and I think Georgia knows that as well. Now, what they're also doing is kind of appeasing five-star talents, you know, like uh, Marius Mims. So, yeah, Mims, you're going to get some ones reps all camp, okay? Just like Broderick Jones got ones rep all camp last year at left tackle, spelling Jamari Jamari Sawyer and having Jamari – play a little bit of guard just to make sure Broderick was ready to go in case, you know, something happened like what happened in the national championship game where Broderick's thrust into, uh, you know, hey, go block Will Anderson for three quarters and see how it happens. we got to go win a title. That type of preparation will happen with Amarius, which means you'll hear reports about Amarius Mims getting one's reps at tackle, and you'll hear one's reps at left tackle too. That's not to say, hey, is Amarius going to beat out Warren McClendon or is Amarius going to beat out Broderick? It's more to say, hey, You've got to prepare at least four tackles in the SEC because injuries happen. Man. Yeah, they somebody happen every... somebody tweaks an ankle and all of a sudden he has to play the rest yeah. of the game. Yeah, you you roll you roll an ankle against Auburn and then Broderick Jones got to go out there and block you know a, a really really good SEC offensive line or defensive line for for three quarters. Like that stuff happens in the SEC yearly, weekly. I mean, all, all the time. Now, wide receiver position. Uh, talk about watching that Clemson game last year in a completely different unit uh, that you saw towards Ooh. the end of the year. Uh, Lad McConkey, I think, is a guy who you have said has taken the next step. I think A.D. Mitchell is a guy who can be truly elite. Kiaris Jackson, you you have guys. Dominic Blaylock working his way back. Obviously, the tight end room is going to take up a lot of these touches, but when it comes down to it, who do you see as the top receivers for Georgia this season? Yeah, I mean, Kirby Smart doesn't give you much in terms of quotes, right, especially when on national television, Yeah, which is what, what was available during the spring game. And he's sitting there with Greg McElroy, and Greg McElroy asks him about his wide receiver room, and he looks at him and says, well, we only got two SEC wide receivers, in our opinion, Lad McConkey and A.D. Mitchell. So when your head coach is willing to say that, now you could say he's challenging other people in the room, like Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint, and like Denylon Morissette, and like Dominic Blaylock, and like Karis Jackson. You could say all of those things as a, as, a, as a moment of challenging, but I think it was a moment of reflection on his own roster. And if you watch them this year in personnel decisions, I think you will notice that as well. Hell, heck, even last year towards the end, they were a 13 personnel football team. That wasn't because it was due in part because they had a great tight end room, but it was also due in part to where, hey, they look up and they, they only really trust A.D. Mitchell and George Pickens is kind of hurt and Lad McConkey's doing most of his work in the slot. And all, next thing you know, you're a 13 personnel football team. I think that kind of similar mindset might happen early on in the season as some of these younger guys and as Dominic Blaylock gets back into game shaping and into game speed and all those things start to pick up, what they look like offensively in August and in September will most likely look totally different than what it will look yeah. like in October and in November, just like last year. Last year, A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkey were just kind of things that they might rely upon. Well, towards the end of the year, they were guys that were carrying the offensive load at terms of the X and Z receiver spots. I think that's what will happen this year as well. As for the tight end room, I know some people listening may have missed the story, but coming out of camp last week, uh, said Kirby Smart on the megaphone getting after Eric Gilbert a little bit, saying, hey, if you want snaps, you got to go out there and earn them. I need you playing at speed. I need you being fast. And I don't think he was just talking about post-snap during the play. I think he was talking about getting back for the next rep, 
just everything you're doing in between yeah. each set out on the practice field. How much stock do you put into Kirby getting after him? Is that just a coach trying to motivate a guy, or is there something to put stock yeah. into there? Look, man, I, I think coaches choose certain words, and they're they're very, very careful about what they say in front of what people. And the best way to motivate Avery Gilbert at this point in time is to probably remind him, hey, we still got it. We still got to check boxes as we go, right? Like you're you're an extremely talented football player, but we still got to keep going. Right? You're about 250 pounds right now. We need you at 240, right? We need you at 242. We need you to keep going, keep going, keep going. He's a constant motivator, man. I think people take way too much into account what a coach is saying while he's coaching. When you're out there, look, man, coaches say a lot of stuff while they're coaching, right? And they use certain tactics and they say certain things to certain individuals to motivate them in a certain way. And telling Avery Gilbert that, hey, we need you to play faster and we need you to be able to play as fast as possible is just that. It's just a coach coaching an individual. It is not, hey, Avery Gilbert's out of shape. Don't run and do things like that. That is not that. What it is is a coach coaching a young man and a young player like he always does. That's a coach coaching, man. If you can mic Kirby Smart up all the time, you probably would hear him say some rather th- some rather uh, um, coach-worthy things, if you will, Christian. I mean, you've yeah. been around football your whole life, man. Now, catching up with Brooks Austin from Dogs Daily on SI.com, taking a look at Georgia uh, as they're in the middle of fall camp here. Flipping over defensively, Brooks, I, to me, all the stories that I'm reading out of this, a lot of them from you, uh, it seems to be the constant storyline is there's a lot of guys on this team who had to wait behind some really, really talented players. And so the story arc typically in college football is, okay, you, you, you wait your turn, the guys go on to the next level, and then you are the experienced person. You slide up and you, you take that spot. What I'm getting out of this camp is those guys who waited their turn are all of a sudden looking in their rearview mirror and seeing some dudes who were in high school last year all of a sudden chomping at their snaps. Yeah, imagine being Zion Log and Warren Brinson and turning around and going, hold on, wait a minute. Christian Miller, that number 52 over there, he's only 17 years old. He just got here. He don't turn 18 until August or until September. What, what is going on right here, right? I've been here three years. It's about my time. And all of a sudden, this six foot four, three hundred and five pound kid from DeKalb County walks in, and he's a ball player. And there's another one in Bear Alexander. That's like that. That is Georgia, man. Like that. That's what happens. Tresman Marshall, the same way, right? Ryan Davis, the same way. I have waited my time, just like Channing Tindall before me, just like Quay Walker before me. And now all of a sudden, six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound, eleven two hundred and ten meter hurdle running, Smile Mondon's out here playing Mike linebacker. Jamon Dumas Johnson from the DMVs out here and, and picking balls off and taking them for six against UAB. Like, I could not imagine being a third year, fourth year guy that waited your time, was ready to go, and then all of a sudden, I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the beast, right? It happens at Alabama, just like it's now happening at Georgia. I think what people are starting to realize is that, yeah, Kirby Smart recruited an elite level for seven years, right? He has for seven years. Well, the last four years now has created this backup log, this backlog of really, really talented Tresman Marshalls, Ryan Davis's, Warren Erickson's, where they look up and Tate Ratledge, Smile Mondon, and Jamos Dumont Johnson, and, and, and Christian Miller and Barry Alexander all pushing these guys for PT. And yeah, I would imagine it's probably a humbling experience, but that's what creates that, that culture of competitiveness that you have to have to be great in December, right? Yeah. Then quickly here, correct me if I'm wrong. So we go to the secondary. Rock out there against Oregon. It's it's going to be Keely Ringo on one side, Christopher Smith, Dan Jackson, and then TBD in the secondary. I even think the 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 safety rotation apart from Chris Smith 
it's kind of TBD. I think they're okay. going to play a bunch of guys early. I, I, I think this is very, is very that, similar. That the same, is that the truth as well at the linebacker spot outside of obviously a Nolan 100% Smith? hundred percent, Christian. I, I think if you look back, go back and watch that 2020 game against Arkansas. Quay Walker is playing. I mean, he gets Monty Rice off the field in the second series uh, defensively. They, they were playing so many bodies early on just to try to figure out who they were, what they were going to be. And then towards the end of the year, the, the rotation kind of settled. Um, into their 11 guys or their 15 guys that they want to play. I think the same could be said about this year. I think early on, especially with the way the schedule works out, you're going to see Georgia kind of experiment with things, um, especially at corner, uh, apart from Keeley. Keeley's going to be a, a mainstay, as is Chris at safety. But I think you see Dan Jackson, David Daniel, Taki Smith, even Malachi Starks up there at safety. I think at, at, at star, William Poole is going to be a stud. One of those guys that yeah. waited his turn that's going to absolutely ball this year. I think he's the best coverage guy they've had at the star position since Kirby's been there. Um, but all the other spots, you'll see them play a bunch of bodies and try to figure out what they got. Yeah, goodness, Malachi Starks is a freak. Uh, finally here, Brooks, defensive line, uh, you put out a story about this, just how potentially what we're going to see is something similar to what we saw early in Kirby Smart's tenure at Georgia versus what we saw the last few years. Obviously, having a Jordan Davis completely changes what you can do across the defensive front. So, and what you posted, you believe Georgia will see more along the lines of what we saw with, say, a David Marshall and those guys two, three years ago, correct? Yeah, I, I mean, if you go back and look at them last year, Christian, they would do, I mean, it's hard to do this on radio, but imagine, guys, you look at the offensive line and they got a tight end to the left side of the offensive line. Oh, this is Formally awesome. What, hey, everybody, don't close your eyes in the car while you're driving, but like just yeah, kind of zone work, out. Just, zone I, out while we do this. I've, I've worked for this for years. I will try to visually explain this to you or auditorily explain this to you. I don't know if that's a word, but I love it. Let's go. Imagine <laughs> if the tight ends on the left side of the offensive line. Normally, defenses would stack at least two, maybe even three defensive linemen on that side of the ball. What Georgia was started doing when Jordan Davis got so elite was they would just kind of hang a, a, a linebacker over the guard and just put Jordan Davis at the zero, and he would just handle all three guys on the interior, which just allowed deep, our linebackers and defensive linemen elsewhere to just run free and run amok. Defensively, schematically, this is so irresponsible. This is not something that you normally would do. But Georgia could do it for two years straight because they had a mammoth in the middle that would command attention from at least three offensive linemen if you stacked him properly. Well, they no longer have that. So I think normally you would have to play them traditionally. You would have to play offenses traditionally. You don't have as many creative opportunities as you possibly have uh, when you have a six foot six, 360-pound mammoth in there in the middle. They don't have that anymore. They're going to have to schematically adjust, just like they don't have three Sunday linebackers ready to go right now like they did last year. All those simulated pressures, you'll see those a lot this year, but they were able to do those last year because they had three Sunday guys on the field at the same time. They might be a little bit more defensive back heavy this year as opposed to linebacker blitz heavy. Things like that, Christian, I think you're going to see some minor adjustments based on personnel that they have available, which is what great coaches do, right? So correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, if Georgia fans kind of want to get a taste of something they could see coming up this season, maybe go back and watch 2017 Georgia and maybe that same area South Carolina teams? I got, I got, I got one better for you. I spent an hour breaking down the differences. All right, let's go. Defense that was Dan Lanning. Plug your stuff. Higher. Yeah, 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 I'm doing it. Um, I spent an hour showing you 2018 defense, which was the last year that Mel Tucker called defense, 
and what they eventually evolved to under the last year that Lanning was there in 2021. Okay, this is all summation of every bit of information I could pull from every trusted source I could possibly imagine, plus the film. So if you want that combination of education, you can find it at patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. And only there, okay? You won't find that kind of stuff anywhere else. I can guarantee it. And absolutely worth your investment there if you are a Georgia football fan. Brooks, I could do this with you for an hour, man. I appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Say hello to the plural here, children for me, to the kids. <laughs> Will do. I got two FaceTimes while I was on here with you, so we'll see. All right, hopefully not, hopefully not in too much trouble. Brooks Austin, Dogsdale on SI.com, kind enough to take some time with us here on ESPN Radio. We got more to come next right here on Second Down. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Glad to have you all with us here on this Monday afternoon. PJ, such an interesting experience for me every day because we have a TV that we can kind of look out through the glass and see while we're broadcasting the show, and it's on, like, daytime television at all times. I was wondering if this was ever going to come up, like, if this was actually ever going to okay, be well, a Do you topic. know what I'm going to talk about? Not a specific part but there have been so many times where i look up and i'm just like oh god so yeah yeah yeah. so it's now it's typically on some sort of show that has nine thousand seasons and 40 episodes per season right of course uh what it's on right now and i want to give him a shout out he's probably not listening but good friend of mine Went to high school with one of the guys I continuously look at every single day. Wow. Yeah. So what's okay. on right now is the new MacGyver. Sure. I, played I by had no idea. one Lucas Till. And that's who? Of Carlton J. Kell High School You fame. went to school with? Really? Yeah. Wow. One so, day, like one, one, uh, one week he was there. Then the next week, my man was out shooting the Hannah Montana movie, never to be seen <laughs> again. He plays the cowboy in the Hannah Montana movie. Yeah. Man, so I, as, I, as I, I sit here and do... This little old radio show. I hope that's. The I have only, to look up and see yeah. my friend be Dan MacGyver <laughs> every day. That would be crazy though. It's the first thing I thought was like, "Huh, I wonder what side character he is." And then like, no, it's him. Like he's, like he's the he's re- the show. He's the real guy with um, his with his hair and his jawline. That's that's Ridiculous. incredible, man. I hope that's the only reason why you know like everything about the Hannah Montana movie. Uh, no, but I did learn something about the Hannah Montana movie. Apparently, uh, this one of the TikTok facts that I learned this weekend. Uh, apparently she was, or I shouldn't say she, the actress who plays Nancy Wheeler and Stranger Things was in the Hannah Montana movie. Didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, So here, so here we are. Very, very interesting. That's, that's Listen, we have, we've had some alumnus to come out of old Cal high school. I'm not, not putting myself up there with them. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, John Dwyer, first one I think of Georgia tech, uh, fame, just beat the holy hell out of Georgia pretty that important. one year. Uh, yeah. But also Christina Coe, if you ever watched the show, uh, got Dave on FX. Okay. She's in that. Uh, yeah. Then, of course, Mike Will made it. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, PJ, not a huge hip-hop fan. Uh, producer. <laughs> okay. If, if, if you ever heard the song Bands to Make Her Dance, oh, yeah, right. Mike All Will right. made it. Yeah, that's uh, Kel High School fame. Again, so we got... Listen, I, I'm. Oh. If you score like the fourth page of notable alumnus, I might be down there. You never know. Okay, all right. No, I do like I specifically like I like that song and yeah. uh, uh, sure, um, like if, that's the thing. If, Miley Cyrus. I mean, this is how the world works. <laughs> the did thing, like, did if, Lucas Till make that song happen? Possibly. 
Very, very possibly. While on the set of Hannah Montana, he's like, listen, Miley, you have like a rap career? Do you think, do you think Mike watched the <laughs> Hannah Montana movie? And that's and where he was, he was like, like, oh, yeah, she's from the movie. I was like, she needs to be a feature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, this needs to happen. That's crazy. Now, honestly, if you would have said it like they say, you know how like at the beginning of the, of the songs, most of the time they'll shout out like, yeah. you know what? If you would have said it like they say it in the song, so I probably would have been like, oh, okay. Mike Will made it. Yeah, would, oh, yep. oh, that's yep. that's right. From, okay. from Bands That Make a Dance. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm going to, I got a clip PJ saying that right there. Uh, <laughs> mark down the time, 2935. Got it. Uh, sticking, I guess, in the same sort of vein here. Watch Did the I movie. say the name wrong? Is that, is no, that no, the no. Meme? It's just, just you saying it makes me happy. It's like forever yeah. I have wanted to do a segment on Three and Out called Kevin Reed's Rap Lyrics. Yeah. We just haven't been able to get that one off the ground. <laughs> That needs to happen, man. Like, as soon as possible. For sure. And I'm thinking, like, Kevin reading, like, a Paul Wall song <laughs> would just make my heart happy. Yes. Or Kevin just reading any future song. Oh, goodness yeah, gracious. Yeah, there's so many possibilities here. You uh, want to get, like, the pinnacle of, of out there and just wild? Get Kevin to read new Kanye West lyrics. That, I don't know that people's brains can handle that. They've been through a lot. We don't need to put that on them. Uh, but again, uh, watched the movie over the weekend, PJ, and for the first time in a minute, wasn't like disappointed. Was actually pleasantly surprised. I'm pretty sure I know exactly yeah. what movie you're talking about. Pray. Yeah. We talked about it on Friday because you were like, "Yeah, well, your brother watched it or your cousin watched it." One of my friends. One of these Zukos. There's so many of them. Not, it's not a Zuko. There's actually. so many Zukos, but one of your friends watching, you're like, yeah. "Hey, you said it wasn't bad." So I was like, "All right." Look for movie times. Realize not in the theaters. It was a Hulu release, so I was like, "All right, let's check it out." Yeah, not terrible. That's good. That's good, especially like I'm not trying to hate on, but nine times out of ten they're getting better. But if you release a movie on a streaming service, now I realize it happened a lot in 2020 for reasons. Yeah. But if you know, generally the rule of thumb is if it gets released on a streaming service and not in theaters. Not going to be that great. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you especially think yeah. it's, it's not bad. And so if you, if you haven't seen or like seen the previews, it is the prequel to Predator, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers movie. Yeah. I don't feel like I should have to explain what Predator is. No, I mean, is. just one of the best the, movies no, of all no, time. Yeah, the greatest action movie ever made, and I will fight anyone who says different. Like that, it's inarguable that it's the greatest ever made. You don't need to argue with me, and yeah. I'm right here. Yeah, so good. So we won't argue. I'm but, right here. What I liked about this is a lot of times when and you've, there have been so many bad Predator sequels that like people feel like you have to go bigger than the first when typically the first is good because of limited ingredients. What were the ingredients of the first Predator? Hey, we're going to take a special forces group made up of the most ridiculous characters you can think of like Arnold Schwarzenegger just with ripped off sleeves and yeah. Jesse the Body Ventura and Carl Weathers as like a yoked up CIA agent, just all kinds of stuff. And we're going to drop them in the forest and there's this apex predator who's an alien coming and hunting them down and they just got to fight each other we're going to have some bunch of one-liners in there there's going to be a bunch of explosions and we're going to get out of here call it a day you don't have to expand on it you don't have to make it anything more than that and by doing that great movie this one what did they do moved it back 300 years prequel and so you have predator coming down landing in the great plains taking on a comanche tribe which something cool Hulu did is they have a Comanche dub of the entire movie. Wow. So you yeah. can watch the whole movie with subtitles in English, but the audio you're hearing is Comanche. 
That's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah so I had no idea that. That yeah. was awesome. But they, they broke it down nitty gritty. It's predator versus like a group of, I'd say like 10 individuals. There's also some like French fur traders in there that have a rough time in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, you said that. The first thing a, I thought was, man. The French fur traders do not have a good run of it. I don't feel like they <laughs> lasted long. Like, in this movie. I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything there, but they do not have a good run of it. But it was... They probably weren't the primary feature of the it movie. It was very simplistic, right? There wasn't this yeah. huge cast. There wasn't a whole lot of different locations. It's the woods. <laughs> and let's get after it. Right. And what I liked is they kind of took the Predator, and it's like, okay, if it's 300 years in the past for people, it's 300 years in the past for Predator. He's got some different weaponry that's also, you can see, similar. And there's a couple times in the movie where they dropped some of the OG lingo into it nice that i yeah. that i really liked as well but sure. it was just it was bare bones because there's a way you do that that's really really bad yeah. and there's a way you do it that's good there was so, one where i got goosebumps and i was like oh hell yeah can i just to reference like <laughs> we all know like we're, we're big nerds here yeah. so i actually as i went to sleep i was watching uh, some of the hobbit movie for reasons unknown but um no i was watching the hobbit and it's funny that you bring that up because literally, like, they're running away from the orcs and whatever, and then they dive into that crevice in the earth, and Gandalf is like, get over here, you fools, or something, yeah, or whatever, like, you fools. And little, I'm like, don't you dare. Little ham-fisted. Are you yeah. kidding me? That's ridiculous. So, an example of how to poorly do that. Yeah. Glad to, again, glad to hear that there were some callbacks that were Yeah, and it was just, and it wasn't terrible. like, they didn't, like, do, like, the extra second where, like, you can sort of soak, oh, it's from it. Like, it's just... Quick yeah. passing, they say, and you're like, oh! You yeah, do, that's you the do thing. The, you, do the, you do the Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. like, like kind of flick and point at the screen. You're like, hey, right. hey! But then it's right back into something else. Correct. Yeah, that's okay. So I, I would I would recommend it. I, I do hate that it's not a theater release because I think that deserves to be on the big screen. It, it was awesome. And do you I think just I don't love telling people to go watch something where you have to sign a contract to do True. it. But yeah. it's on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, you can watch it. But it's... I think it is well worth it. Do you think there's ever like a universe or an avenue in in nowadays, you know, day and age? Well, obviously, I know the contractual agreement. Like, it's it's probably not coming off of Hulu for a year, right? They're gonna push it, and well, it's a Hulu original. Well, that's the thing. Like, you probably yeah. can't do anything. Like, you're you're not gonna be able to do anything but Hulu for like a year or two. When that contract ends, if it ever ends or whatever, like, it, is there any possible? I would love to see a possibility. Where if a movie like this is good enough, like a theater company of some kind or, yeah. or something could come and be like, hey, can we pay y'all to put this in theaters? Because I feel like people would want to see it in theaters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, imagine that in a, a huge theater. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that'd the be best, amazing. The best, I guess, wrapping this up, the best compliment I yeah. can give this one is I would rewatch it multiple times. That's the best thing you could say. Yeah. And especially, listen, he's not going to toot his own horn. Just joking. He definitely will. But... If if this man's saying that, yeah, that means something. I, would, I mean, like he'll he'll take some of the the movies you think are the best things you know, yeah. and just prove all the reasons why they're terrible. And then you'll be like, you'll want to be like, no, you're wrong. And then you'll go watch it, and you'll be like, like Predator's man, so Christian's good, right? Predator's <laughs> so good that I took time out of my day to come to your home to make you watch a movie that came out before I was born. Yeah. No, That's how good true. Predator is. It's very right? true. I'm not saying this is that good. I'm not coming to your house to make you watch this. But okay. it's still something where I would take time out of my day to watch this again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest compliments you can give. Especially, you know who I'm curious you know, to get? a movie. Because so. if I'm tough, 
then this person's tough, but on like a borderline chaotic scale. Oh, no. Cody. I, I'm curious to get Cody's because Cody is chaotic never, when it comes to. It's never borderline chaotic. <laughs> it's just it's straight up chaotic. <laughs> but uh, no, you're right. I, I'm looking forward to hearing what yeah, he has to say, just, too. But now I can't wait to see it myself. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll get Cody's review on this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more. This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Appreciate Brooks Austin coming on at the beginning of the show, breaking down Georgia in fall camp there, PJ. And I'm looking at this team, and it's such a weird dynamic going into the season. They're defending national champs, and I can't remember a defending national champ that I, I don't want to do the thing where it's like, they're getting disrespected. Of course. Nobody yeah. believes in the dogs, but it's, it's kind of quiet. Right, and it's you have a returning quarterback, you have just a plethora of five stars around him. I, I feel like it's because people know Georgia has recruited, as Brooks mentioned, at an elite level for seven years, and so you just stacked up recruits. But at the same time, you lost a historic amount of talent to the NFL draft. So it's almost like people don't want to commit to what their thoughts are around Georgia, right? It's, it's such a wait-and-see thing where Alabama Alabama's going to be the best team you've ever seen in your life, right? Always. Ohio yeah. State, you're not going to be able to stop their offense. <laughs> C.J. Right. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Marvin Harrison the third, those running backs. Travion Henderson is. Like, I, I could care less for Ohio State, but that dude's a dude. If this like, was a different era, yeah. like, can you imagine the the pub that Travion Henderson would be oh my, getting this year? He already have the Heisman. They would have already yeah, dropped yeah, off true. the Heisman Trophy yeah. at his house, but he's freaky good. Like, yeah. as a true freshman last year, just massacred teams, <laughs> and now he's back again. Uh, yeah, he's special. So it's like going into the season, you, you know, the Ohio State, best offense you've ever seen. Alabama, you can't stop Will Anderson. Bryce Young is the best quarterback Nick Saban's ever had, and they have so much talent back, and then they went and took all your talent and added them to their team. So we know the storyline is there, right? Mm -hmm. USC, fun. We don't know how many wins it's going to be, but it's damn it, Lincoln Riley, and it's <laughs> and it's what's his face, the quarterback William Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams, right? Yeah. It's just it's they're stealing wide receivers. Jordan Addison's out there now. They're going to be fun, and it's just there's all this other stuff. And then Georgia didn't take a single player out of the transfer portal. Yeah, yep. So Georgia's just sitting there all boring developing in-house with their folks and it's you don't know their names and so it's just it seems so quiet i i got a bad feeling they're going to put a hurting on Oregon that that opening week like Dan Lanning i respect you brother and i think he's going to end up doing a good job up there kind of carrying on what Mario Cristobal built it made no mistake about it Mario Cristobal built something yeah. different at Oregon for a long time they were that chip kelly spread offense that was perfected under Marcus Mariota. Then they kind of, for a little bit, Mario mm -hmm. Cristobal gets there, and he kind of changes the identity. We're going to win at the line of scrimmage. We're going to play a game that you don't see a lot in the Pac-12, and it's going to be more sustainable. Now Dan Lanning comes in very much with those same ideals. Some good quarterbacks and inherit some good players, right? I still feel like that line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive side for Georgia, is going to be outstanding. And then defensively, like we talked about in the first segment, you don't know who it's going to be, but it's going to be a five-star. Yeah. <clears throat> no and, matter where And they're going to be lining yeah. up against your offensive line, and it's going to be real tough to stop them. So yeah. I got a bad feeling there's a whole bunch of players that are playing for Georgia right now that are saying, we're pretty dang good too. <laughs> yeah. And we don't hear anything about us. Yeah. And I think they're going to make a statement on September 3rd. So I just I find it interesting. It's such a quiet offseason around Georgia. It is, and it's. I think it's more of the 
old-fashioned offseason, right? Like you said, you don't have any big transfers come in. Uh, you don't have any crazy things happening over the offseason. You, you have a quarterback who's coming off uh, of a national championship as well, but, of course, everyone still wants to question him. Um, and, and uh, yeah, like you said, you have, you're losing so much, especially on the back of that end of that defense, and, and people are waiting. I feel like kind of kind of waiting to see. First it was they're waiting to see if, if you get anyone out of the transport, and then you didn't. So, like, you don't really have a hot topic there to just, you know, talk about for, for weeks yeah. if you're, you know, one of the big networks. But, you know, maybe maybe this is a good thing. Just kind of fly under the radar and say, hey, by the way, we're still here. But uh, I, I will say a couple things uh, just in response to what you just mentioned. As we get closer to this Oregon matchup, I walk back a little bit of, of kind of my opinions from a few months ago because I thought this was going to be, just to be honest, and not a whole lot's changed. We're just getting closer to the season. I just look at the matchups, really. Yeah. I'm starting to agree with you. Like, at first, I was like, you know what? I really like the changes that Mario Cristobal had, had instilled. That team is a much more defensive-oriented kind of football team as well. They are pretty, you know, really solid up front defensively. And I do think that is going to be a little bit of a hurdle for Georgia. But. Everything else, I mean, you have no matter what, you have a new quarterback in your system. You have a new system to begin mm-hmm. with, um, and and that is not the team that you want to play. Yeah, to, like to that, come out the first the, game I guess of that's the, the season. That's the point I'm trying right? to make. So, is, think, say it out loud. Oregon's coming in with a new head coach taking on the defending national champion. Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, e- even with a new back end on the uh, on the defense, like right. it's it's still it's not going to be great. Now, I, the only thing I'll say about that is I feel like Georgia is on the precipice, which is weird for to hear when you talk about coming off a national championship and you talk about recruiting insanely well for seven years. I feel like they're on the precipice of being thought of when you talk about preseason, offseason, all this stuff, like in Alabama. But people are kind of maybe waiting yeah. to see that, all right, well, you won the national championship, you had a wave of people graduate, you're not bringing in any huge transfers. How do those five stars pan I, I, I out? Think the I think they're going to pan out fine. I think the question is, in a lot of people's mind, is are you LSU? Right. You you have just this amazing window that opens up because you have all this talent that converges at the same time. You have, you're historically dominant on one side of the ball. You win the national championship, and then all that talent leaves. Yeah. Yeah. LSU dropped off a cliff, fired their coach two years later. True. Georgia, are they... LSU, or before we jump to Alabama, let's say, or are they maybe well, Clemson? Just, or are they Clemson? Yeah, it's like, the easiest yeah. thing to compare to. I probably went a little far there, but yeah. Or are they are they Clemson? Can they sustain going back? Is because listen, I, I don't think Georgia fans would be satisfied waiting another five years to go back to the college football playoff, like right. happened before. Yeah, you go in 2017, you have to wait until or I should say four years, 2021, sure to do it again. I don't think Georgia is in a once every four year kind of mode. I think they want to get there. I understand you have to get through, theoretically, get through Alabama to get there, but as we saw last year, no, you don't. So I think Georgia fans are saying we should at least be playing for it the last week of the season, if not getting to the college football playoff every year. Yeah. So that's where the standard's at now. This is going to be the year that answers that. You got your quarterback back. You have a whole lot of talent coming back. I think Oregon's in for a world of hurt there week one in Atlanta. We got to take a quick break. We'll come back get you ready for three and out next right here on ESPN Radio. Three and out coming up next right here on ESPN Radio. The guys will be joined by Gary Stoken of Peach Bowl, Inc., of course, hosting 
the Chick-fil-A college football kickoff there in Atlanta between Georgia and Oregon. But get this, PJ, when I talked to him at SEC Media Days in Atlanta, he said not only are they sold out for that game, two weeks before that, they had sold out the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Woo! Goodness gracious. Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Yeah, I Chick-fil-A say, Peach still, Bowl, but I mean, uh, people don't even know who's semi, there yet. You know, that's the point. College football semifinal, bunch of Bama and Georgia fans saying, hey, can we just, you know, make two trips to the A? Let's do it again. You know, back-to-back yeah. games as my team makes it there. So a lot of confident fans have already bought up tickets for that bowl game. The college football right around the corner. Wow. Uh, speaking of Gary Stoken, he's going to join the guys Next on three and out, the breakdown an atrocious weekend for the Atlanta Braves as well. All uh. that next, right here on ESPN Radio.